Thanks, Colin. I did just send the two readings and let them pick which one, so. Uh, can we have our New Testament reading now, please? Which hopefully should be a bit easier. Second reading is from the book of Matthew, chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. The temptations of Jesus. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. Amen. I want to talk this morning about worship, which I know is Adam's favourite topic. Uh, and if you're listening to the recording, this is not Adam. <laughs> not yet. Not until I say something slightly controversial. Then it is Adam. What's what's worship for? call to worship this morning, I said, Let, let's, let's make sure that God's got no doubt about how much we love him. And that, that is the primary purpose of worship, for us to tell God how much we love him. It's from worship, it's telling God what he's worth to us. But it strikes me that if it was just about telling God how great he was, Pretty much all of our worship songs would be, God, you are great, we love you, you're fantastic, thank you. And that would be about it. But when you look at worship songs, a lot of them are more than that. God, you are great because you have done this for us, you promised this to us, we know you deliver your promises, all those sorts of things. And it strikes me that another part of worship is to remind us what God has done, to reinforce our foundation with God. So that when we leave church on a Sunday, it might be morning, probably still be afternoon by the time we get sorry. I've had about half a dozen people come up to me, will you keep it short today because it's a carnival, it's the 
lunch, I've got line dancing, and it's, oh, and it's sunny. We'll see. When we leave church, when we go out into the big bad world, if all those songs that we've sung haven't made an impact on us, if the prayers that we've said haven't made an impact on us, if the ramblings of the guy at the front haven't made an impact on us, then we're basically just for a Sunday morning karaoke session. Does it really sink in? Do we fully understand what we sing, what we pray? And does it make a difference in our lives the rest of the week? That's, that's whole life discipleship. That's what we as a church, that's our, our stated aim, is to become a whole life disciple-making church. To be more than just a group of folk who get together for a bit of a chin and knees up on a Sunday morning and actually be a people that the Sunday morning and everything else we do in this building makes a difference to us out there and by making a difference to us out there makes a difference to everyone else out there and then hopefully there'll be fewer empty seats the next time we all come back together because other people will have said oh I would like to come to this karaoke session you speak of so when we're singing when we're praying Rachel was at pains to remind me that worship is more than just singing. It's praying, it's listening, it's reading the Bible. But most of what I want to talk about this morning is singing. But links to other things. I'll try not just talk about singing all the time. Does what we listen to, does it sink in? Does it make a difference? Do we really understand what we're saying? I've got a clip of someone who has clearly sung something and hasn't understood the words. Now, she is singing in a foreign language. It's from something like Hungarian or Bulgarian pop idol. And I'll leave you, leave you to it. No one can to get to save me. No young clist to show my live. Where I guess a Joseph at an unletchumon. You want us to nigh, Molinai, your sort of show. Yes, he show. What I really like about that clip, I've watched it several times now. Might stick it on again later, but not right now. The, the other chap, there's the woman who's obviously figured out that she hasn't got a clue what she's singing. But there's the guy next to her, the judge next to her, who's lapping it up. He seems to think he's awesome, this. Apart from that, she's a terrible singer. Is your worship can't live if living is without you? 
or is it Ken Lee to Libby Dibby Doubt You or whatever it was <laughs> has it sunk in are you understanding that what you're saying to God is effectively actually I didn't think of that when, when the cliff but you are saying I can't live if living is without you or are you just saying Ken Lee to Libby Dibby Doubt You When, when we're up against it what influences our lives what influences the way we react to situations is it God is it the God we know through reading our Bibles through our worship or is it other factors the X factor pop idol what Kim Kardashian's up to these days what we've seen on EastEnders this week in our first horrendously difficult reading, the people with the complicated names, they, um, they came to a new land, they settled a new land, and they weren't worshipping properly. Now thankfully, with a band like ours, we don't have to worry about being attacked by lions for not getting it right. Whether we're new to worship or whether like the band we've been at it for a while still practicing <laughs> sometimes and we sometimes sing as for me in my house as for me in my family we will praise the Lord although we get it wrong we will still carry on make Jesus number one in this place he doesn't say although we get it wrong we'll run and hide from the lions that are going to attack us The Assyrians wanted to learn how to worship God. They got one of the priests that they previously kicked out and got back to show them how to do it properly. But it didn't actually make any difference to their lives. They just tacked it on to the side. And they carried on with all their other idols that they'd had before and they just added God to their other gods. Do we do the same thing? Do we just tack God on to the rest of our life? Or does he make a fundamental difference to how we live our lives? Do we just kind of go through the motions? Are we play actors? Or as the Greek would say, hypocrites? But it's not that straightforward, is it? It's not just a case of you either come to church and it makes a massive difference to your life and you live your life entirely different or you come to church and you're an absolute hit, hypocrite can't even say it and you're just going through the motions and you're just pretending and it's, it's like there's a brick wall sometimes we feel a bit like the, the seed that fell amongst the shallow soil in Jesus' parable of the sower it sprouted quickly, it grew quickly and then the sun came out and withered it up and Jesus said that was like people who heard the word and took it in and responded joyfully. But then when they were up against it, when hard times came, they wilted, they withered. Because they didn't have deep roots in him. The plant hadn't put down deep roots because the soil was shallow. So we come to church and we worship with whole hearts and we listen to the fantastic preacher we go away and we say, that's made a huge difference to my life. I'm going to live completely differently. 
but for any number of reasons it doesn't quite take root. There are other pressures, there are other things on our mind. Our mind wanders to, oh, I think I might have a barbecue this afternoon, the sun's shining, it's nice. Oh, I hope wolves win. <laughs> There might just be any number of other pressures. Some quite serious, some sometimes to other people might seem trivial. That just mean that what we've heard, what we've said, what we've sung, what we've read hasn't really taken root. We become a bit like the Assyrians and instead of giving ourselves wholly in holy worship to God, we let our other gods influence us. Obviously we don't have other gods with unpronounceable names. We have perhaps far more subtle, sneaky and insidious gods like telly, music, magazines, newspapers, celebrities, even friends sometimes. And all of these things are fine. I am not saying that you need to go home and throw your telly out the window and burn every newspaper and magazine in the house and detach yourself from all your friends and get on Facebook and unfriend everybody that doesn't come to church. Because that's part of our whole lives. And a whole life needs all these other things but when those other things become our whole life that's when they become a problem this church would be empty apart from me speaking if each of us went home or if as soon as each of us had become a Christian we immediately denounced everything that was non-Christian if you're into hip-hop or R&B or ballet, did you say? I can't. You can't just mouth things at me and then... Whatever you're into. Line dancing. Whatever it is. You, you, need, you, know, you need to remember that God has created us as individuals. God made you with all your preferences and all your tastes in his image. God made you in such a way that you grew up thinking, oh, I really like that music. Robbie Williams. Oh, I can't stand that heavy metal stuff. Whatever it is. And if you're into a certain subculture or whatever it is, you're into racing cars or football or rugby or table tennis or whatever it is that's an important part of who you are and who God made you to be and if you suddenly denounce all that when you become a Christian how on earth are you supposed to relate to other people that are in that same subculture as you how are you supposed to suddenly you know there's no point me going speaking to folk who aren't Christians who are into hip-hop because it would just look stupid. There was a, a, a big fan of 
Big Bang Theory. And there was an episode on the other night. It's a sitcom about some uh, physicists who are uh, really clever but just can't relate to normal people. Um, and there's an episode where they get sent to um, an all-girl school to try and convince them that it would be good for women to be in science and, and actually the, the one who relates least to people, Sheldon, was the one who'd had the idea that actually you need to speak to kids to get them into science. Otherwise, by the time they're adults, it's a bit late. Very similar to telling them about God. But one of the guys tries to be down with the kids and he's trying to wrap stuff to them and, and it just looks stupid. And it would be like me trying to speak to young people or adults who are into that kind of thing. It needs someone who's in that subculture, who understands how it works, to be able to speak to people authentically. To be able to say, this is great, but actually it can be so much more with God. Some of you might know John Powell, who's a good friend of mine, and he's really into his music, he says. Um, it's quite easy for him because everything he likes is music and anything he doesn't like doesn't count as music. So he knows a lot about music and he's into all sorts of music. But he's, he's a good friend, so that's why I can tease him. And we often have a bit of a discussion around Christian music. John's point is, if you want to listen to a band that sounds like you too, go and listen to you too not a Christian version of you too. If you want to listen to someone that sounds like Eminem, listen to Eminem, not a Christian rapper rapping in the style of Eminem about Jesus. Now, my argument back is, well, for years people have said, oh, you should listen to this band because they sound a bit like the Beatles, or you should listen to that band because they sound a bit like Oasis, or you should listen to this band because they sound a bit like Cypress Hill, or whoever. People always compare new bands with bands that are already around. Otherwise, you're kind of like, well, they're completely different, and a bit different. music's difficult to describe. You need to say they're like such a band. If you like that band, you'll like this band. And my point is, that's why Christian bands say, we're a bit like you too. We're a bit like the Beatles. But that doesn't mean that you can't listen to Cypress Hill or Eminem or the Beatles or the Hoosiers or anyone like that. But you need to be aware what the lyrics are saying. The music might sound great, but the lyrics can be really quite dodgy. And even some really innocent sounding songs are incredibly dodgy. The old party favourite of YMCA. I'm not going to tell you what that's about. I'm sure you know. But it doesn't matter because we all get up there and sing the song and do the dance. You need to think about what you're listening to, what you're watching, and what that's saying, and what that's putting directly into your into your life, and how that potentially then affects how you live. For some reason, I've got into watching um, TV series about gangsters. 
I'm a big fan of gangster films like Goodfellas and The Departed and, and all that kind of thing. And then I've got into watching sort of crime and investigation channel documentaries about real life gangsters. And I'm sort of watching them and I'm thinking it's interesting, but these guys are horrendous. I don't want to think that watching that suddenly starts to influence that I think it's alright to go whack someone <laughs> and hold my gun sideways to look more gangster and all that. And that's an extreme example. I'm not going to sit and watch a programme about some gangster and then go out and hold up Mr. Dillon's. <laughs> but when we look at our second reading, when Jesus was up against it, what did he fall back on? fell back on the Bible. He was able to quote the Bible. Now, Doc Cotton's able to quote the Bible with stunning accuracy. Um, and the last time EastEnders flicked across our TV screen as we hurriedly changed to something else, I overheard her saying something about being ch- turned down in her bid to become a church warden, which I thought was interesting. It's not just about being able to quote the Bible, it's about being able to act on what it says. If you read the Gospels, whenever Jesus is facing a difficult situation, he generally does one of two things. He refers to the scriptures and acts on them, or he finds somewhere to go away quietly and pray to seek guidance from God. It's easy to say, oh yeah, it was easy for him because he didn't have to think, wonder what Homer Simpson would do in this situation. I'll do the opposite. Perhaps there were less cultural pressures on him, but I'm not, I'm not sure. He still had friends who'd grown up as fishermen and carpenters, and he still lived amongst normal people. And he told stories that ordinary people related to, so he obviously understood the culture he lived in. But he fully understood his relationship with God. Again, easy for him. He was the son of God. He, he was God. He is God. But we can have exactly the same relationship. We need to understand that we are created by God. We are created by God to be just the person we are. It's one of those little things you get on fridge magnets or whatever. Always remember that you are unique, just like everybody else. But you are. There's no one like you. There's never been anyone like you. There's never going to be anyone else like you. Even if you're a twin. John's a twin. His brother Chris is completely different. You're unique. God made you the way you are. You didn't become the way you are by accident. You might, be, you might have become the way you might have been shaped by things that have happened in your lives. But that's still all part of God's plan, believe it or not, even the really tough to handle stuff. God made you with all your tastes, all your preferences, all the stuff you like, all the stuff you don't like. Put you here for a reason. It's great 
can't be everything. God made you the person that you are, but He made you to be the person. He made you to become wholly the person that you are with Him. So when we sing, "Can't live if living is without you," as a worship song, make sure that what you're singing and what you take away is "Can't live if living with is out." Oh, I can't even say it now. That's ironic, isn't it? Can't live if living is without you, and not can't leave. We sang "Wonderful, So Wonderful" before, um, and several people have said to me, "You've got it again at the end. Is that a mistake? It's deliberate." I'm gonna. I'm gonna I think we had this at a wedding. Did we have this at a wedding? I think we did, but I can't remember. It was a long time ago. But is this, is this what you think of when you wake up and the sun's shining? Beautiful one I love, beautiful one I adore, beautiful one my soul must sing. You open my eyes to your wonders in you. Powerful, so powerful, your glory fills the sky, your mighty works displayed for all to see. It's easy to think of that when the sun's shining and you're enjoying life and you're looking, you're on your holidays and you're looking at a fantastic view. But when you wake up in the morning and the rain's lashing against the window and you're not on overtime for flood warning and the bills are coming through the letterbox and mounting up and the car's broken down and the dog's left a message in the hall. Do you wake up and think wonderful, so wonderful is your unfailing love? Your cross has spoken mercy over me. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no heart can fully know how glorious, how beautiful you are. Is your go-to place what would God do? What would Jesus do? Or what would Homer Simpson do? What would Doc Cotton do? What would Kim Kardashian do? Sorry, I didn't mean to look at you as I said that, Rihanna. <laughs> Just glanced round and you laughed. <laughs> what would Henry Hill do? Go out and shoot someone. What would Jesus do? How would Jesus respond to this? What is God trying to tell me at this point in my life? What is God preparing me for? What is God teaching me? What is God doing in my life right now? How can God help me? Can't live if living is without you. set of three. This is why the band were able to finish early as well, because they picked the same song twice, so they didn't have to practice it twice. Although we'll see, maybe they should have. Gotta get one last time.